Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. It's Jay Scott. It is the It is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again. I always appreciate when you stop by and give us a listen. We are part of the Pantheon podcast platform. So there's a great music podcast for everyone's music taste on the Pantheon podcast platform. You can check out my friends like Vinny Apice and Carmen of Peace on the Hanging and Banging podcast. Tom and Zeus on the Kiss podcast. Shout out Loudcast. Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ out in Boston, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, as well as Aaron and Chris on Decibel Geek. So check out all those and more. You can find them on PantheonPodcast.com and on all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods. Don't forget to follow The Hook Rocks wherever you podcast. We're on every podcast platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. And check out our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Hook Rocks. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've had some great episodes lately. We just did an incredible interview this past week with Tuck Smith, a great uh, singer-songwriter, former lead singer of The Biters, talks about his journey over the last couple of years, having his record deal shelved and kind of rising from the ashes and coming out the other side. Uh, he's a true rock and roll warrior. So check out that great interview. Check out some other 
great stuff we've done recently. Our live album review of UFOs, Strangers in the Night, some great new music spotlights with bands like The Warning, Band Inc., Ignescent, and many others. So check out those, all those as well. And we've got another great episode lined up for you today. We've got guitarist from Nashville. He's going to talk about uh, his little weekend getaway with uh, his guitar and many of his followers and playing guitar and learning guitar and all that stuff that goes into it. I'd like to welcome in Andy Wood. What's happening? What's happening, Jay? How are you, dude? I'm doing well. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate having you on. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. So we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the show. We start with the same first question. That's really the essence of the podcast. And just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a album, band, performance, or song, what was it for you in terms of what hooked you on rock and roll? I mean, it was it was a, uh, I, I love to say it like this, it was an immigrant kid. Uh, with a homemade guitar and in uh 19 late 70s and 78 he just reinvented the world with a little thing called eruption and uh that's that's that hooked it for me man like when i heard that i grew up as a bluegrass kid playing a lot of mandolin and uh i got into electric guitar uh, kind of through the Nashville Telecaster chicken picking thing. And for any of our listeners that are guitar fans may not know that genre. It's actually really, uh, similar to metal in the elite technical facility that it takes to execute that style of music, right? So that's how I got to electric guitar. And a friend of mine made me a mix, mixtape. And it had all of the things that I should know as an electric guitar player that I'd never heard before. We're talking Racer X. Uh, Steve Morrison, the Dixie Dregs, Eric Johnson's Cliffs of Dover, Steve Vai, Passion and Warfare, and of course, the mighty Van Halen. So it was, it, it was just, it was Ed, man. It, it was Ed, it is Ed, and it will always be Ed. I love that, that story, you know, that, that everyone's got when they, when they talk about eruption, because it's such a magical moment. And for myself, who who doesn't play guitar, I still remember probably 1981, 82. I was home from school. I've, I've told this story before. And my brother was borrowing Van Halen 1 from a friend of his. And uh, I knew he had it. And I knew they were always talking about Van Halen. So there was curiosity. So I was watching the Great Space Coaster. And my mother was cleaning the house. And I'm like, I got to check out what this is all about, right? And I, you know, I was in Catholic school at the time. I don't know if I had the day off or what was going on. So I went in his room, went back in the living room, put the, put it on the turntable, took off my mom's Barry Manilow record. Sure. Put on, put on Van Halen. And I knew instinctively to put in headphones because I yeah. knew, you know, my mother would probably not like what I was listening to. Yeah. So yeah. I put the headphones on. I laid back on the floor, put my feet up on like the furniture that the stereo is on. And I heard running with the devil. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I'm Catholic school. This is scandalous, right? Yeah, this is, I'm not <laughs> supposed to be listening to this thing. And then eruption came out. <clears throat> and this was, you know, the age of Star Wars. This was the age of like wonder, basically, with imagination and all these things coming out that were Star Wars esque because it was so popular. And I just remember going, what is this? It sounds like a spaceship. It yeah. doesn't sound like a guitar. It sounds 
so completely different than I had heard before. And I remember I got up and I played it again and I played again. So fast forward to after he passed, like a week after he passed away, my mother still lives in that same house. I took my son over there to, to, and I showed him like we were in a museum where I laid when I first heard eruption. Like, this is it. This is exactly where I was when I first heard it. Like it was a life changing moment. Yeah, man. I love that. I was recently on uh, Dweezil Zappa's podcast. He's been doing Running with the Dweezil, and uh, he's had all these really legendary guitarists on the on the channel, Satriani and, and Vi and all these cats, you know. And he had a couple of new school guys. He had me and Mark Letary. Uh We were on separate episodes, but we each got to pick an album, you know. And, and uh, to hear you talk about those moments – to hear Dweezil talk about those. It's like all of us talk about Ed like it's Arthurian legend or something. It's almost like it didn't happen, but it did. And it's real. And 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 I think in all of the millions of years that Earth has existed, we were so blessed to be on Earth while Ed was here. You know, it's just one of the I think he will go down like a Mozart or a Chopin or a Rachmaninoff of our, you know, just like I think Hendrix will, you know. There's really one thing that never really gets talked about in terms of Eddie's playing is obviously we know what guitar was before that. And we know what guitar was after that. We know his innovation. We know his custom guitar work. He was pretty much the, the, the greatest luthier of all time in terms of putting together guitar and custom making guitars and what he used to do. But one of the things that, I think we fail to really kind of really discuss is the expression that his guitar or what he showed what guitar can do in terms of expression, in terms of personal expression. I mean, there was granted, I mean, there's the pages and the Hendrixes and all those guys were very expressive, but this was just like, there was no boundary to your expression. That's the, that that's the way to word it. Not that it, not, not that it devalued by anybody else's expression because it doesn't. Um, but what it did was it knocked down a lot of trees and you talk about that boundary situation. That's the way I look at it. Um, and, and like Hendrix, like anybody that follows me as on my Patreon and it, it like hangs out in my communities, you guys have heard me say this a lot, but, uh, I feel like a, a guitar and electric guitar was in a space. And then Jimi Hendrix came along and changed what that, that landscape is very much like a Henry Ford you know, or Steve Jobs or something, right? Like it just in the, in the industry, in the, in the landscape of that environment, once Hendrix happened, everybody's like, Oh, well, this is how you do it. And I don't, and, 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 and even though guys came after Hendrix and pushed things in different directions and things went off on offshoots, it still was like, okay, we're doing it from this launch pad. And Ed came in and built a new launch pad. And I know this is kind of a hot hot take, controversial, but I don't think that we've had that kind of player since Ed. And when people get into the who's better or worse, I don't think it's a better best kind of thing. I just think there's several things that go into Ed that we all owe credit to, like we do Les Paul, right? Like four-track recording. Like Les Paul's famous for his playing and the Les Paul, right? Like the Gibson Les Paul. But he brought four-track recording to the industry, okay? Like Eddie Van Halen, if you look, if anybody's watching this, you can see all these high-gain amplifiers behind me. 
there was no such thing, like from an engineering standpoint. So strictly from a recording standpoint, and anyone that used distortion from the amplifier that was gained up distortion, you owe it to Ed. You know, and it's like, even if you don't like his music or you don't like his songs or you don't, it's just like this massive blueprint of how the game is played. He just came in and like rewrote all the rules. And that's what I love that you said about expression and just taking the barrier barriers and just moving those aside. And then, and then that laid the, the framework for. And people, you know, you may not realize it, but there's no Tosin Abasi, uh, there's no Meshuggah, like these things that you don't associate with Ed necessarily, one to one comparison, but their, their framework comes from that, right? You know, you're talking the humbucker and the solid body guitar that's shaped like a strat, for instance, or again, high gain, uh, amplification. And, uh, I mean, hell, the moment somebody puts their right hand onto the fretboard, you're just like, well, you know, not to say that Billy Gibbons didn't do the with the bend and the one note, right? That happened. And, 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 and there's videos of, of, of black and white jazz musicians, specifically a very viral video of a guy playing ukulele and doing some tap and stuff. But I think when we associate what it is and the electric guitar and all of these pieces, like all of these chess pieces on the board, I mean, it's just like we owe it to him and, and, and there's not, there's not enough gratitude and, and also shout out to, uh, how well Wolfgang Van Halen has handled the whole thing because we all forget that that's his dad. I just lost my dad in, in, in May of this year. So I can't imagine what it's like to lose your father and your father be a prolific, really, and I'm not over exaggerating a world, a global force of change in an industry. You know, like I said, it's like your father being Walt Disney or the Koch brothers or Henry Ford or something. You know what I mean? It's really that big, at least at least to us in the music realm. It is, you know, I mean, Eddie Van Halen's reach is all the way into Nashville. Like, like with drop D distorted guitars on pop country. It's like, yeah, man, guess where that came from, bro? It's got red and white and black stripes all over it. You're just not paying royalties, you know? Very true. Very true. <laughs> and then back to the Billy Gibbons I don't know if people realize, but ZZ Top was a huge influence on Van Halen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. And just listen to Bottoms yeah. Up. Yeah, the, the swaggers, the shuffles. I mean, the boogies, like like all of the various, you know, high-speed boogies that Van Halen did. I'm the one, Hopper Teacher, all this stuff. There's one on uh, Balance. I think it's called Big Fat Money. Uh, but, yeah, all of those boogies and shuffles, they came from that Texas kind of thing. And they just gave it a shot of adrenaline and cranked the tempo up a little bit, you know? As far as your playing goes, once you heard Eruption, where did your path, where did your journey go to? Um, It was a gateway drug for me. Um, it, I don't think I would have got to Kill Switch Engage without hearing that. And for me... <clears throat> Everything across my musical diet, and it's very vast. Anybody listens to my music knows there's a lot of influences. It did to me, eruption did to me, and and the rock things that I, I hold at that at that round table, which is you know Cliffs of Dover for me is one of those things. Uh, Dixie Dregs and Steve Morse, I, the the rock thing, Steve Vai, all that stuff. <clears throat> I hold that at a round table that sits right next to Schofield. And uh, Charlie Parker and George Benson and that round table, you know, it's like a cafeteria. It's like a lunchroom full of these round tables. And I got Guthrie Govan and Sean Lane, those fusion monsters, Brent Mason and, and, 
and Albert Lee and these ferocious telly chicken pickers, you know, and there's banjo players like Bela Fleck, Noam Kinley. And of course there's, there's things that people don't expect like opera, like, you know, Pavarotti and Nesun Dorma and all these kind of things that I hold in a high regard. All of these things. I just, I'm just a fan and, and it's gone in my ears. And somehow when I make music, I think there's pieces of it that all come out into my own blend of gumbo, you know, and it's not really like one thing made. I'm, I'm very careful to not let one thing influence me so much that I sound like a bad copy. Like I never want to sound like Van Halen. If you ordered it from wish, you know, I don't want to sound like the cheap version, the Kroger brand of Eric Johnson. Like that's not my goal. My goal is just to let all these things be on my diet and love them. You know, I just want to be a fan and love all of the the music that I love and let what I make just kind of happen. Try to stay out of my own way. You know, it was a big thing when I was in my early 20s. I was so obsessed with Eric Johnson that I was losing my own personality, you know, and I had to just stop listening to it. You know, I had to kind of step away from it. And this, I think that's a, that's something that every musician has to deal with at some point. It's like, man, it's great to have your, your heroes, but it's also important to walk your own line, make your own path, good, bad, or ugly. And, and I think that's one thing that, that's very important. Now, however, with all that said, once a month, me and Ben Eller, uh, we put on the big costumes and we play the neon guitars through the high gain amps and we do a thing called skank banger. And it's just a fun celebration of eighties hair metal. And, uh, we do all of the things that anyone would ever want to hear the dual guitar solos, you know, the rats and all that stuff. And, and obviously there's a huge moment in the show where I, I do the, the, my best attempt at bringing honor to Van Halen by doing 316 and Spanish fly and little guitar intro. And of course, into eruption and of course, into, you know, Panama and John, we do a whole, whole segment, you know? So that's how I kind of let the Van Halen worship happen, you know, just once, once every five or six weeks. And we just do it as fans and, and, and celebrate it. You know, just mentioned the telecaster. I'm actually heading out tonight to see Richie Katzen. Yeah. A phenomenal telly player too, as well. Um, I, I, my, my son's coming with me. He's never seen him before. Oh, so. cool. Very he, cool. my son plays guitar. So he's 17. So I'm interested to see what his reaction will be. Oh, I'm sure that. he, he'll have his face peeled back. Yeah. We talked about expression and we talked about your gateway, but how did you find your expression with the instrument? It was, uh, it was through it. It's a similar answer in that it's through being a fan. Um, when I first started making my own solo records, I've had a very, you know, blessed career as a, as a side man. I've worked for some really big artists and, uh, I would always do instrumental records on the side for fun. And throughout me discovering my sound, it came from actually more embracing my Southern roots. On my first record, I was very segregated on how I'd be like, okay, well, here's a Southern inspired you know, classic Telecaster chicken picking kind of song. And then the next track wouldn't have very much to do with it. It would be a seven string kind of chug thing. And then there would be another track that would be kind of fusion. It was kind of a scattered approach. And, and, and that's the, the, 
the 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 immaturity of a you know 25 year old kid making his first record and and i think now at this point instead of segregating things into songs i'm trying to make every influence fit into each song and it's really about accepting the fact that you can have a little bit of southern flair and you can have some distortion and you can have some jazz influence and some fusion influence and it all come together to be its own thing versus trying to be like hey, here's this one genre in this style, and I can also do this one genre in this style. It's like now I'm more into like how many things can I put into one song, and that was really a, a mission statement with my previous album, uh, Junk Town. And then you know we're in the in the process of tidying up my new record that will be coming out very soon, uh, probably the fourth quarter of this year. But yeah, when you talk about like how did I find my sound, it was it's more about like how much can I mush all of my favorite things together and all my influences that reach from, like I said, Hans Zimmer all the way to Dizzy Gillespie to, you know, uh, the, the, the rock and metal gods, you know, Kansas or journey or whatever. I mean, not like I, if, if anybody got in my Spotify playlist, they would be like, how is notorious B I G right next to Del McCurry and the next track is, you know, from Mashuga or, you know, something like that. It's, I mean, the Artemis pile driver, you know, Maylene and the sons of disaster. It's like, it's really all over the place. And for me, it's just like, I just really like a lot of different music. And I hope that when I make music, it, it sounds like me. And, and that's, that's my mission is to like take everything together and just be like, all right, this is, you know, nothing makes me happier than, to see something online and someone goes, Oh man, that sounds like an Andy thing. That sounds like a, you know, and of course we all wear our, our influences on our sleeves. And instead of trying to denounce those influences, I, I write songs that are tributes to those influences. Like on my previous record, I, I had a tribute to Eric Johnson and it's something in, in that, in that style and very on the nose, more of a love letter, a thank you type of situation. And, and that's, that's kind of how I approach my finding my way in, in the musical landscape, you know, ecosystem or whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, for guitar players, their influences is, uh, really allows them to be expressive. But as a lyricist, you know, someone who writes lyrics, personal experience, observation, they write about that. They write about what they see. They write about what happens to them with the influences you have and with life experiences. How do you, how do the two come together? You know, how does how does your tone of playing, your type of playing, how is that affected by what's happening around you? Oh man, that's a great question. That's one of the best questions I've been asked. Um, I do write lyrics, and that's why I have different projects. You know, so I can jot down those ideas, and and it be a very literal thing. Like you said, a, a lyricist has that that luxury of being like, I experienced this. Now I want to put that into words, but to look at it from a sonic standpoint, right. Without, without grammar and semantics and all these things, uh, you know, when I have, when I've ha had heartbreak or, uh, anger or sadness, uh, I can always tell in, in, in the tones that I, that I lean into, uh, usually darker tones by that. I mean, literally darker, like, like not as bright and our EQ nerds. Like I start shaving things after six K I want things to sound very dark. They also get, you know, I equate sadness in my playing with a lot of, uh, 
echo and and reverb and and delays and things like that like I, that open space that a that a reverb or a room ambience has that equates to a sadness to me and that's one of the tools that i use anger to me usually leans into some additional effect we've gotten to the point in 2022 where distorted guitars no longer sound angry to me that we've had them for so long that it's no longer that terrifying oh my god my mom better not catch me listen to this loud distorted guitar like that thing's kind of gone away like i said earlier you had distorted guitars on pop country records you know morgan wallen records or whatever right so that no longer equates anger and and at this point in the game things that i find that push that anger aggressive thing are things like octave fuzzes and various fuzzes. Like I think Gary Clark Jr., if you guys are familiar, if any of the listeners are familiar with him, he gets a very fuzzed out, dangerous sounding tone that, that, that does not sound polite. And those are kind of sonic tools that I use to, to equate those emotions and put them into, you know, my music. And then, and then I have a good sense of humor and on my records, I like to have little cheeky things. And that, that usually ends up being harmonized. Like me and uh, Ben and I, when we make a record, we're like, all right, here's the, let's do a little Bill and Ted thing and make it cheeky. kind of make the joke exclamation point on the, on the sense of humor, you know? So I, I'm always looking into, I look down right next to him. I've got my pedal board and stuff and like what, what's on there that equates the anger. You know, and lately, uh, I've never really used a wah in my career a whole lot for my solo stuff. And on this record, I'm reaching into that a little bit because it just sounds a little more dangerous. I've been listening to, thanks to that Woodstock documentary on Netflix, I've been revisiting the Mighty Rage Against the Machine and Alice in Chains and all of these types of artists and corn and stuff. And like, just taking a mental note of like, man, when this came out, this was the most terrifying thing on the planet. And I think that's what happened coming out of the 80s spandex season into Nirvana. The tones weren't polite. You know, it was very much like a big muff into a twin, which is a very ratty, dangerous, falling apart kind of sound versus the sound of a Dan Huff or Red Beach, which is very slick and polished, right? So it was like that thing equates anger. And I think we're getting there again because metal to me is, you know, in this this environment of, 2022 there's players like jason richardson and and tosin abasi and guys that, are, that i call friends and and uh per nielsen and stuff the the tones are so tight and so clean i don't mean like without distortion i just mean they're so tight and precise that when i hear that it no longer sounds scary it sounds almost like a uh like art it's so tight, it's almost like sci-fi. So things that sound scary and dangerous to me are those looser, gross, like I said, you know, like Gary Clark Jr. fuzzed out kind of thing. That sounds really scary. And 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 listening to isolated guitar tracks from those Alice in Chains records, listening to, you know, Tom Morello and how he painted that 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 image with a not polished tone, that sounds really dangerous to me. You know, and so that's that's kind of like how I'm I'm looking at that, but that's a great question. Like, how do you, how do you take those emotions and put them into, into instrumental music? You know, what's easier for you to find that expression, to find that voice? Is it sadness? Is it anger? Um, you know, when you have those feelings and you have these surroundings, is it easier for you to find those, a, a sad expression for your, in your playing or an anger 
or is it equal to both? It's just finding the finding that groove that you need to find. It's really just like when you have whatever you experience in a day, you go to the guitar much like you just go to the well and and hope that when you pick it up, it comes out. Some days it doesn't come out. Some days it does. You know, the hardest thing for me, uh, I've had a very hard year. I've lost my granddad who got me started playing music and my father within the same year or within, you know, 12 and a half months of each other. So uh, there's been a lot of swirling emotions around that, especially my granddad. And uh, it took me, I still haven't played his fiddle. He was a fiddle player and I still haven't played it. But I, I just recently started playing his D45. I, I, you know, you know, had got him a D45 uh, at one point and uh, as a gift. And he had it, you know, until until he passed. And when I got it back, you know, it stayed in the case for weeks. I couldn't stand the, the thought of holding it. So when I talk about, like, going to the well and seeing if it's there, that was a, a big old waterfall, you know. And it took a long time just to open the lid of the case up and it took even longer to pull it out. Then see what came out of the instrument, you know, because at some point the, the subconscious, I think any of our, our friends out there that are listening, that are musicians, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. When I say there is a point where you're not really playing, you just pick it up and just see what, where the fingers fall, you know, and that's, that's what you're talking about. When you ask about how, you know, how do you, how do you lasso those emotions and, and, and funnel them, right? That's, that's kind of the thing. So it's been a tough year. And, and, uh, I don't know if that's going to translate in this record or not. Um, uh, but we'll see. We'll all see when it's done. You know, obviously com- compound that with three years of not touring from COVID or whatever, two and a half years. And, uh, Man, when I went to make this record, I had like fifty something demos. Like I was, I was at home in my studio, and I just, every night I have a glass of bourbon and come downstairs. Like, wow, we'll be on tour in six weeks. Ah, this thing ain't gonna last another two or three months, dude. Two years later, I was just like, what am I gonna do with all this music? I've been, I've been just kind of thinking that I'll be back on the road in in three weeks. But those are the emotions. I would, I, I, I love that question, and I hate to ramble, but here's another point on that question: is when I was down here, I would just not let myself get into production mode. Uh, what, let me let me clarify on what that means. When when one makes a record, they can easily get in there and get to tuning everything perfectly and 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 put in the end the perfect you know tones and and timing everything and laying it out. That's a very long process. And sometimes I would spend all this time on a process only to get done with the song and be like, I don't really like that melody. So now I've got this really great produced thing that sounds great, but I don't just don't like the core idea. Right. So over the course of COVID, I had one rule. You're not allowed to tune the guitar, except tune it to itself. Right. So pick up the guitar, tune it to where it's in tune with itself and then track something you're not allowed to go back and overdub and fix any flubs or, you know, if, if it's a rough take of the idea and that's the idea, that, there, there it lies. And I learned through this process that there was a much more beneficial creative process in it, and it, and it translated what you're talking about in a lot more honest aspect. Because I could hear the emotion and I could hear those feelings and then I could be like, I like this song because it's got a sense of humor. And I was using the term, I like this song. 
Okay, as a guitar player previously, I'd be like, ooh, this solo is so hot, man. All my friends are going to really, all my, my peers are going to really like how hot this solo is. And I was making music from a standpoint of trying to impress people with technical facility versus making music of, uh, it needs to be a little selfish sometimes. Do I like this? I'm the one making it. Do I like it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So though all of that is related. And I think it took being home for two years and not, not being allowed to be on the road. Cause I've beat up the road since 2013, you know, it's like it took being forced out of that environment to get a little self exploration going on. And then COVID was capped with the loss of the two most important dudes in my life. So it was just, it was all of the emotions and it still is, man. I played a, a bluegrass gig. We played a private event last night and I had some really stud players from Nashville come in and it was emotional. I haven't played that style of music out since I lost my granddad. You know, it, it is emotional that, you know, all of that goes together. Is that where you've evolved the most as a player, though? What you just said, like finding the song instead of the rip, instead of the solo? Yeah, it, it easily. This is my mission statement for the new record. You ready? This is this was my whole like sticky notes everywhere on everything. It's like, like can I tell where the guitar solo starts? And in a music that is built around guitar, the whole song is a guitar solo. I think it's important to know when the guitar solo itself starts being musical. And uh, when we look at the, the masters and the heroes, you can tell in instrumental music, especially the great stuff. Like we've talked about Steve Morrison, Eric Johnson a lot. And I'll stick with that. You can tell where the melodies are in cliffs of Dover. And then at the end of the song where he just lets it loose, I think in an instrumental version of Little Wing, you can tell when Stevie's playing the melody at the top, and then you can tell when Stevie lets it off the chain and starts improvising. So that was a mission statement for me. It was like, hey, man, get your ego out of the way and try to make good songs that are just good songs. And then if it stands up and you like it, then allow yourself to write a solo section at the end or in the middle or whatever. The Woodshed guitar experience happens later this week. This is kind of your baby, what you've put together. You've done this now for the last few years. How did this all begin? How did this start? It was a COVID thing, not being on the road. And uh, by the time August rolled around and being locked up and CDC was allowing small groups to get together, uh, we put together the idea of having six of the best guitar players, regardless of genre, get together in the United States. Obviously we couldn't do anything global with global players, but we'll get to that in a minute. And so I just, instead of going through a William Morris or a uh, booking agent or a management, all that gross stuff, no offense to my friends that work in that field, but instead of going through those, those avenues, I just picked up my phone and I texted my friends and that was the best decision I ever made in my life. I texted Joe Bonamassa, I texted Andy Timmons, I texted Mark Letary, Greg Cock, Brent Mason, these these monster, monster pinnacle players in every genre. You know, Greg is uh, Mark is at the top of the funk modern uh funk game with Fearless Flyers and 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 Snarky Puppy and that whole scene. Andy Timmons is a legend, I'm one of the most melodic players I've ever heard. He's like you know, carrying that, that torch of the Jeff Beck style 
Brent Mason is the most recorded guitar player in Nashville, Tennessee, and has been for 30 freaking years. You know, he's played on more number ones than <laughs> I think there are days in a year. And then, of course, Joe Bonamassa, if you don't know who he is, you've been living under a rock for a decade. So we did this thing and we pulled it off. And I thought it was going to be a one and done thing. And everyone had such a great time. And uh, we did it again the next year. Reached back into the well and pulled out Robin Ford. <laughs> For, you know, it's like you talk about the coolest of cool. You don't get any cooler than playing with Miles Davis and winning Grammys and being the top legendary blues jazz guitarist. Uh, you know, you can wallpaper a house with his pedigree to quote one of my friends and uh you know this year without the 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 grip of covid i reached across the pond to uh tom quell who's a modern fusion legato player and he's a fantastic player and then i reached uh across the border up north and gra grabbed a nick johnston from canada who's a young gun that's that's really got the goods and then of course this year we've got toast and abasi coming for the first time and Tosa and I have been friends for a long time, and we did the John Petrucci event out in Anaheim last year. And uh, who else is a newcomer this year? Guthrie Trap, another Nashville telly kind of slinger. And, uh, yeah, we're to, to just en encapsulate what the event is, I think people might be saying, well, what is this thing? It's three day four days and three nights. We have a lakefront property with four stages, one of which is a big big stage where we fly like a line array PA and have truss and lights and everything. The other stages are satellite stages. It's a VIP only style of event. Um, we sell it as a premium event because we want everyone to have that experience of VIP. So we only have a hundred slots. We just do a hundred attendees that way. No one feels rushed to be like, hey, man, will you sign my pit guard? Hey, man, what settings were you using on this song? Hey, man, how'd you play that lick? We want to eliminate all of that. I've been on the road for a long time, like I said, and I've seen how ticket prices, if any of you guys go to a concert and you go see somebody in an arena, you, your concert ticket's a couple hundred bucks, two or three hundred bucks, and then your VIP experience is another 700, 800 bucks, and you get 15 minutes to like walk through a line like cattle call, and you don't even get a VIP experience. So for me, I was wanting to make something that was like jurassic park and i'm gonna bring in the freaking t-rexes and velociraptors of the of the six string industry you know and and you can mingle with these guys for four days and you you wake up and you have breakfast with them you, you eat lunch with them you you don't feel pressure over the course of the four days we have um lessons obviously one-on-one -on -one master classes it's really all about that sharing that love and that passion for guitar and uh, you you have those moments. You don't have to choose who you want to see. We've got it scheduled out to where everybody gets time with every artist. And then, of course, if you want to double dip, you can go to whoever's uh, classes. Every night we have a different concert. And, and it's a full concert. It's not like with backing tracks and iPads. I bring in a house band of... of I mean, my drummer is Jim Riley, and he's been on the cover of Modern Drummer four or five times. He does his own clinics, and that's our house drummer. You know what I mean? So, like, the band is is outstanding, top-tier musicianship. So, we do full concerts every night. And then after that, when the concerts are over around 10 p.m., you jam. And we, we all jam together. And one of the highlights for me was Mark Letary last year. You're talking about the leading, you know, Grammy nominated funk soul guitar player, Mark Letary. And he's like, I want to play bass all night long and I want to play Metallica songs and Motley Crue songs. And it was just, it just, it's this, 
it's this thing that you can't get anywhere else in the world. And uh, I'll give you a couple of, of, of really great moments from it. Year one was Bonamassa. And Joe, for those that know, has a very extensive uh, guitar collection and pieces that range four or $500,000, you know, instruments. He comes in with one of his 1959 Les Paul bursts. You know, this is a six-figure guitar, $300,000 guitar, you know, whatever. And a Dumble amplifier, you know, stuff that nobody gets to see. And he, he's like, Andy, I, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't, I don't do this kind of thing. Like, what am I supposed to talk about? I said, just sit there and be Joe Bonamassa. Like, I do not care. These people do not just whatever comes to you. And so he has a, a micro cube, a practice amp. He sets it down next to him. And his whole message was about how you as a person control the tone, the sustain. Like we get into the mindset, you need to buy more stuff. You buy the guitar, buy the amp that's going to give you more sustain and all this stuff. So he had every camper come up and they got to play his $300,000 59 burst through his Dumble. And he just took their guitar and played through the microcube. And you see how much the sustain is there? He's like, it's all in how you're. And then he, instead of it being a thing where it's like, I've got this trick and you can't do it. He was like, look how I'm doing it. This is where this, this is where the magic is, you know? And, and having those moments throughout the event, it's, it's that stuff that, that's truly life changing that I'm sitting here talking to you about a podcast. Like I couldn't believe what I was seeing, you know, and, and I really wanted to make the event into something that 21 year old me would have sold a kidney to go to like, and so my whole passion about the project is like, build the thing that I love invite the players that I love and create the thing that I would want to go to because at some point it's all got to come from a fact, like I said, of making music. Do you like it yourself? Well, if you don't like it, how do you expect anybody else to like it? You're not even proud of it, you know? And here I am like, I, I'm glowing. I never thought that I would be into this type of thing. I never thought that this would be something that I would be into because I, I love playing live, but cultivating this and putting it together it's the best four days of the year for me because I just get to watch people's faces light up the moment their favorite guitar player starts talking about the thing that they like watching Andy Timmons in the small class do Bohemian Rhapsody by himself and watching people cry. I was like, yeah, man, because there's only 10 of you in this room and you're getting this like that's something you cannot get. We, we just build a thing that cannot it's, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Andy Timmons is an absolute beast. He is, uh, you know, I, I think people for a while disregarded him because of the danger, danger connection. But once you hear his solo stuff, oh once God. you hear him play, it's, it's out of this world. And you know, the, the bottom story you tell reminds me of the story that Nugent tells about Eddie Van Halen, where they were at a festival together. Another one. Like them. Yeah. Where Nugent grabs Eddie Van Halen's guitar or whatever. And he's like, how come that doesn't sound like you? <laughs> and he's like, cause you're not me. <laughs> you're not me. Yeah. The, the, the story uh, is, is in one of those interview books that I got. I got a yeah. book, all the various interviews. And he talks about Ted's like mad about it. Cause this guitar is like squealing and feeding back and he can barely like wrangle it, you know? And then he just hands it to Ed and it's like, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, well, there, there you go. That's the secret. Yeah. Yeah. You can find more information and on the website, woodshedguitarexperience.com. It is in Nashville, in Tennessee. Um, it starts the 25th. So if you're interested, you're still on the fence. Is there tickets still available? We have a few tickets available. 
And uh, if you are listening from this podcast, I'm going to get hell for what I'm about to say. But if you're listening to this podcast, we have a few slots available, and we would love to have you. When you email Brady, say, I want to get the Andy Woods special discount. And she will slide you a little bit of a discount for this this podcast only. So if you're on the fence and you want to join us, like I said, we don't have many slots left. Um, and I haven't checked up. We may we may be sold out by Tuesday. I don't know. Maybe sold out tomorrow. But as of right now, we've got a few spots left. And we would love to have you. It's it's really a special event. And we've got some first-timers. Like I said, we haven't had Tosin and Nick Johnston and Guthrie Trap before. So it's going to be even more of those holy crap moments, you know. Based on what you're telling me about this thing, this was kind of created and spawned out of the pandemic, right? I mean, it was kind of like by accident. It was total by accident. You know, I I was teaching. Uh, so I have a rule where I don't teach kids. I'm a very calloused kind of person when it comes to learning the instrument. My granddad uh, taught me and my cousin, and he had no nepotism. When something was played incorrectly, there was no, hey, that's a great job. It's like, no, that's wrong. You know, not here to like hold your hand. I'm here to teach you how to do this, you know? And so I got talked into, uh, teaching a friend of mine. And now I'm really glad I did. He was 11 at the time. And, uh, his father approached me about the, the, the idea. And his father had done, his father's a Olympian, a gymnastic Olympian. And so he does camps based on that, right? They do gymnastics camp, P9X, whatever, whatever that stuff is and does all that kind of stuff. And he approached me. He's like, what would you, what would it take for you to be the, the face of this and, and do one of these? And I said, no, 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 no. And he finally says, well, what would it take? What would it take? I said, I choose the roster. And I thought that would be a thing that'd make him not bother me anymore, <laughs> you know? Just because that's such a loaded thing. You just don't hand the keys to the budget, you know, over to somebody. And he said, no problem. Let's do it. Who do you want? And so I just got on the phone and started calling my buddies. And I said, look, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be rad. And uh, it's also important to know that it's it's a passion thing. It's not a wank fest. It's not a get up there and everybody trying to cut each other's heads off, you know, in a competitive thing. It's a celebration. And that's why I purposely bring in guys from so many different genres, you know, because it's like guitar spans far more than any one style of music. And I, I want people that love guitar that have never heard country guitar. And they think that they don't like country guitar. The moment you hear Brent Mason, you're like, yeah, dude, I like that very much. Like what you said about Andy Tim is it's like, you may think you know what somebody's about until you witness it in person. And then it's one of those life changing events where you're just like, holy cow, you know, get on any YouTube, get on any video. There's a bunch of negative comments about anything, but until you're in the room with those things, you're just like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. You know, but it's, it's a celebration of music and, and uh, it's it's the it's a communal thing, and it's a thing where it truly is these moments. You'll know what I'm talking about when I say this, Jay. Like when we play and we're on tour, we get time with each other backstage to talk about war stories, to talk about our favorite new pedal, to talk about Van Halen or whatever, and just share our love. This is usually reserved for the artist that's sitting backstage. Only we get that, right? I thought, why can't we make a thing where select few people, like a hundred people can, can get that, 
you know, and hear Robin Ford talk about what it was like being hired by Miles Davis. It's like, that's a story that doesn't get told. And there's a lot of things that don't get told on podcasts or you run out of time. You should not have time in the day. Right. Well, when you have four days with, with these folks, it becomes a, you know, a, a totally different game. It's a lot like when you think about, um, you know, I don't know what to draw the comparison to really like maybe doing like a spring training type of event. If your kid's in, in little league and he gets to go spend a week with the Cubs or something like it's like that, because we've got the best, literally the best players on the planet at this thing. And every year it just gets crazier and crazier. And, uh, my rule still stands like a hundred people. That's it. That's a, because once you open up the lid and you've got 500 people, there, it's no longer VIP, no matter how much you say it is. There's just a hard fact there, you know? Yeah. It loses its intimacy. It does. And that's, that is the magic. That's what we sell is that personal one-on-one time where you're not just ran through a cattle call of like, Hey, get your thing signed and get out of here. Don't take pictures of the artist. Like I said, man, we want it to be like Jurassic park and pet the dinosaurs, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, you know? Well, it sounds like a guitar. By the way, don't pet guitar players. Nobody likes yeah. that. Yeah, that's a little. That's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> we don't sell that. <laughs> right. But it sounds like a guitar player's dream. I mean, you know, sitting in a room, you know, hearing stories, learning things, um, hearing a different perspective. Because that's one of the great things about music in general. To pick an instrument: drummer, bass, guitar, piano, singing. Everyone has a different approach. Everybody has a different perspective. Some are similar, but no, nothing is the same. Um, it's like fingerprints. Everybody kind of has their own uniqueness about them. And that's what makes music so wonderful. You know, when you, when you create something, right. When, when it's, when it's not just a beat from a computer, when it's organically, authentically made, I don't think there's anything that you can create better than music because it really is. I mean, obviously there's other forms of art, but it's just so unique in terms of how you approach it. It's because it's a language. Yeah, I really believe that. Like music is a language. If I if I were to go to Tokyo with my band tomorrow, place none of us speak Japanese, right? If if we go to Tokyo tomorrow and we start playing music, we can communicate with people through that music. We can see smiles light up, or we can see thumbs down and booze. Whichever whichever emotion we get, we are communicating. And 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 art and other mediums, they're not that instant. One has to paint. One has to sculpt. It, ha- it takes a time. And not saying it doesn't take time to practice and learn the songs, but the moment you play a song, you can instantly see that reaction. And if I play a note and it's got like a lot of feedback and it's real angry, I can see eyes get big. Or if I play something really small and delicate, you can hear the energy in the room get like that whisper thing. It's it's a language. Music is powerful because of its it's truly a universal global language. Andy, it's been a blast, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Man, thanks for having me and letting me kind of just kind of ramble for you. No, man, it's uh, I love it when conversations kind of take on a life of their own. And I appreciate you know your perspective and hearing about your path and journey into guitar playing and music. And uh, yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a joy. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. For those that missed it, check out the Woodshed Guitar Experience. You can find more information on the internet at woodshedguitarexperience.com. Again, guitar phenom Andy Wood presents the third annual Woodshed Guitar Experience taking place this August 25th through August 28th. It's in Crossville, 
Tennessee. And uh, man, go take part in this. If you love guitar and uh, you got some, you're looking for something to do this weekend, this is the place to be. So I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.